I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author and wealth manager, John Lorenz. His new book is The Prosperity Project, Building Abundance and a Map for a Life Well-Lived. How do you define prosperity as it relates to your individual circumstances? Would more money make you feel prosperous, better health, more friends? The truth is, all these things matter, notes Wall Street veteran and author John Lorenz. He draws upon his professional and personal experiences and seamlessly blends them with the principles of modern psychology, health, wellness, and finance to inform his Pyramid of Prosperity a reimagined version of Maslow's hierarchy of needs that reflects present-day fundamental truth. The Pyramid of Prosperity gives readers a visual representation of Lorenz's point that multiple contributors to happiness need to exist in harmony for the pinnacle of prosperity to be reached. Now, he had a after his career, after John's career at uh, Merrill Lynch, he has now opened up his own firm, JKL Wealth Management. So, welcome to the show, John. Hi, good morning, Catherine. Great to be okay, here. Okay, well, that was kind of, yeah, glad to have you here. This was kind of a mouthful, and I do know what, uh, as a social worker, what uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs is, and this is kind of what the Prosperity Project is about. Can you kind of give us an introduction to that. What does that mean um, in terms of this hierarchy of needs so that we can be, well, we are building abundance and a map for a life well-lived, which we all want to do, but I'm not sure we know how to do that. (laughs) It seems overwhelming. Right. (laughs) Well, it is overwhelming when you you look at it as a a mountain like that, but... Really what I I did was, you know, looked at my personal experiences in life and and the observation I've had over 25 plus years in the wealth management field and really broke it down in its its simplest form from a standpoint of you you really start with the basics and it's it's not as big a deal. James Clear has a book called Atomic Habits and he said, don't think about running five miles, just think about putting on your running shoes. So that's kind of how this works. At, at the base of the pyramid is our health. And I, I think that everyone agrees that health is really the most important aspect of, of our prosperity in our lives. And if you recall ever being sick in bed with a, you know a, a horrible flu, you really don't think of anything else but just getting back to normal and just getting your health back. And so you you start with, with that at the base level, and, and taking care of our health is, is most critical. Um, that's the engine that drives everything else. And then you move up to what Maslow really put out there was our security, right? We have to have a roof over our head. We have to have food to eat when, you know, need to be medically taken care of. Um, he goes into the sex and some of these other things that are base level. But when you get to wealth, one of the things that we've seen is there is a, there is a, a base level you have to have, but above and beyond that, the you know the issue of more is not going to make you feel prosperous and not going to make you happy. Okay, so, I'm going to stop you right there because I'm curious. So, what is that base level like because of wealth? Let's say what what when when I've had enough, I'm you know it's it's I'm gonna it's not going to make me any happier if I make more money. Right, 
that's that's the, the loaded question, and we've seen the yeah. studies, right? I'm sure that it's seventy to ninety thousand or something, right? Is is the base level? A lot of times is what the studies have shown. But from experience, it's a very personal thing, um, and it 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 comes down to your consciousness of of what's driving you um, on the inside. And there, I put a quote in the book by the Dalai Lama. That talks about we have to look inside. It's he's and he states that he has many billionaire friends that are unhappy. So at the base level, you 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 have to be able to whether you're a multimillionaire and you have a mansion payment and a and a country club and a yacht. If you feel like those are in danger, you're you're not going to be feeling happy and prosperous. And then you break it down at the. At the at the lower levels of income, you know, it comes down to that safety and principle of having the roof over your head. Um, and from there, you know, you can start to find find a, your own level of, of joy and happiness. And we can see this when we look around the world uh, at different levels. The United States is no is number nineteen in the world for for overall happiness, and and we're one of the most sophisticated, if not the most sophisticated country in the world. So you've got to find that, that base level personally for your own consciousness and, and become aware of when you are just trying to satisfy immediate gratification with more purchases and more things, and you have to look outside of that. Yeah. I think what happens is, and many people don't realize this, well, you were in wealth management, so you're, you are an expert, uh, that the more stuff you have, the more responsibility it is, and the more anxiety, I think you just kind of touched on that, you have to take care of it, or you're going to lose it, and, and, and people become consumed with that. I've read studies where that the people who are solid middle class people who have, are actually happier than people who have, let's say, multimillionaires or billionaires, and of course, people who can't, don't have a roof over their head or don't have food, um, that, you know, people who have a, have a nice house, you know, whatever the, you know, middle class means in our culture, um, which which makes sense. yeah, I think I think it comes down to as I as I put in the book, well, yeah. you know, you, you 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 it comes down to once you get past your health and your base level of security, you then that's when the enrichment really starts. It's with relationships and and um, experiences, which are so much more important than you know stacking up you know large amounts of of money in an account or a big garage full of fancy cars, you know, it's really the experiences and the adventures in life that will enrich you to that, that true level of happiness is what I've found. And, you know, so John, it, it's, it's re- really apparent. Okay. I, Cause you, as I said, you are the expert. If you've been a wealth manager, so you're, you've been managing all these wealthy people, their money. Right. So right. give us some. Yeah. Give us some examples. I mean, of uh, not being so happy or not being um, not having a life well lived. I, you know, I could, I'm just, you know, how about the Getty family? I think a lot of those kids, the third generation, been into drugs, committed suicide, you know, all that. Well, that's very, you know, the ultra wealthy. But anyway, so give us some of the examples because you have been had this experience as a wealth manager for 25 years is a long time. Yes, absolutely. Well, I, and there's there's huge disparities, but I, I'll give you one example of, uh, in particular, that really rings hard in my mind was, I, I had a client who I, I would 
guest was $25 million um, in, in their investments and spending anywhere from eighty to dollars to $100,000 a month. And one of the most miserable <laughs> couples you could ever see in your life. There you and go. <laughs> they, it was like a, it, there was never enough, right? And it was like the, the, the higher the markets would go, the more the greed would be and make more money. We need more. And then at some point, it's like, why? What is driving this process? Um, Another example in that same vein would be I saw a guy lose $23 million in the course of one week because he just couldn't get enough. And he was leveraging, like you saw with this GameStop situation, it was similar to that in that he was borrowing, he was leveraging a single stock and it went against him and he lost everything. What Um, happened to him? I mean... I, you know what? He, he, I don't know what happened to him. I know that he, he owed a lot of money to a lot of people, and I, I, I haven't had any – I don't know what happened after that, but I know it was an awful situation. And it was all because of the, you know, the, the greed factor. And then another example on the other end of the spectrum is a client of mine named Julie who – lost her husband. She lived in a very nice home here in, in, in San Diego with the swimming pool. And um, when he passed away, she had the feeling of it was just going to be overbearing to maintain this stuff. And and she was living, you know, a nice lifestyle, but it wasn't real, you know, extravagant by any stretch of the imaginations. So in talking, she said, you know what, I'm going to sell my place and I'm going to move to Tennessee and I'm just going to reduce my my monthly cost and she did and she built a 2000 square foot house on a single level on a golf course there reduced her cost of living a third to a third of what it was in california and she's just living the tr- a tremendous lifestyle and she's so so happy and it's on a modest amount of money so that's kind of an extreme examples between what i'm talking about if you will yeah, those are the extreme examples, which is interesting. And and now, I mean, you are, well, you have your own business. So what do you do, like you, and as I understand it, like you are, well, it's, it's, you say that you help to nourish your relationship with your clients, um, but you advise them on living this a life of true pro, prosperity. So you kind of have like a unique, you know, you're advising them about their money, but then you're also kind of like a, um, a social worker, a, uh, a, a business social worker. How does that work? Yeah. Well, this, you know, whether we, in, in all of the time that I've spent, you know, in, in this profession, we always do have to wear, a, a, even though we're consulting on money, you do become sort of a family counselor, if you will. Because there's so many things that you're going to do in in discovery and finding out what's important to people and, you know, where do they want their money to go at a later point? Do they have sons, daughters, you know, that they want to leave it to? And and then as you go through a 25-year period, you really begin to experience all of their pain and, and all of their joy as you see them go through, you know, maybe sons and daughters with addictions, like you mentioned earlier, um, and the 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 ups and downs of the careers of their children and their parents growing old and having Alzheimer's and all of these things. And you become their confidant. So you, by just naturally, 
by becoming close to them over that long period of time, you do become a, a, a kind of family therapist, if you will. <laughs> and, and then it's, they, they lean on you to keep them balanced, you know, to keep perspective on what's important. Like when you went through the financial crisis, we all remember, um, you know, when everything fell apart, it was just a really, I was a, a branch manager at Merrill Lynch at the time, and I had 20 plus advisors and then all the clients. And it was really, really a difficult time for everybody. You know, a lot of people lost 30 or 40% um, in that short window. And you really become uh, a therapist to them to get them to, you know, stay in the game and keep their, their as much positivity in their life as possible. Yeah, and people trust you, obviously. They're trusting you with their money and the, the whole trust issue, what you're talking about, and then all the branches out into all the things you just mentioned. One of the things that people don't, Americans, I should say, um, and, and there have been research and studies on this, Americans will talk about anything but their money, that that's an issue right. that's like taboo. They'll talk about sex, who they slept with, they had an affair, they'll talk about <laughs> all that stuff, but not about their money, no matter how much money they have. And so that can be a source of anxiety, too, because you're kind of keeping all of this secret. Um, and you being the money therapist, um, talk to us about that. <laughs> That's really, really interesting that you, you, you talk about that, because I am uh, not going to give away any details of family secrets. <laughs> but I will tell you, my mom and dad, my dad's 85, my mom is 83, and we're, we just had this conversation uh, day before yesterday morning. Mom, my dad can't see very well anymore, and my mom can't hear, so they're quite a pair, right? <laughs> um, but they, they, mom says we need to get this, the finances organized. We're going to spend time in the office. And I said, I, I laid out to her, I said, it's, it's great. It's about time. I said, Dad has a lot of things hidden that he doesn't talk to us about. And you need to bring those out of the drawers and make four stacks. You need the assets. You need the insurance policies. You need the trust. And, and, and you need to stack these things in separate piles so we can address them before, you know, something tragic might happen. And you're so right about that. It's like the secrets that, that I think especially men keep. <laughs> they really do. I think they really stack things away and squirrel them away and don't talk about them much. Um, and it's so important that I'm glad you brought that out. It's so important that those things be addressed and be, you know, especially if something were to happen for the family to be able to go and find all of this stuff and really organize it. It's really important. It is important. I mean, a few months ago, I had a trust and estates attorney on and he said he hadn't even he hadn't even done his own will. How about that? Do uh, I mean, that was <laughs> and it's like uh, the. Uh, like the shoe, the what do they say? The shoemaker that has holes in his shoes, type exactly. of thing, right? Yeah. Well, right. and the doctor who doesn't take care of this himself or his health because he's administering to everybody else. So it is a real right. issue. Uh, yeah, no doubt. So let's. I, I like to always like because now it's the pandemic and we've been isolated and insulated. How's that affected your business or you know the people that you work with? Well, I mean, I think. You see a lot of, of what's going on in, in people, but again, I think a lot of people are sort of secretive about how much it's impacting them. You know, we like to, 
we like to put on the air that everything's okay and and we're doing you know we're doing just fine um and then when you peel the onion a little bit you find out that you know people are going through major ups and downs um and and cycles with their moods and with their optimism and pessimism and lord i mean we can see why with what we went through i mean with politics and the pandemic and the oh it was it's just been a load for people a load um and i i really observed that there's a real desire and need for that human interaction to be able to see each other's smiles and and you know those types of things and the fear that's been we went through you know the the largest decline in the market in the quickest period of time since the great depression it was just incredibly fearful um what was going to happen and then you know we've seen the markets do better but still at the same time the fear of the the health issues the lack of social inter- interaction the lack of knowing when this is going to end has really impacted people's psyche um a tremendous amount and it's it's really been a lot to to keep the optimism up and that's one of the reasons the book was so powerful for me was to test my own formula for okay if when i have a purpose and i have a checklist and i stay on track and i i stay in my lane i get my workout in i spend my 15 minutes of quiet time without any technology and you know i'm moving forward with purpose it seems to really take on some momentum of positivity versus when i just kind of get into a drifting pattern where i'm looking at the internet i'm watching the news i'm bouncing around all over the place with technology i don't really get my workout in maybe i'm eating too many snacks that's when it gets kind of leans towards that anxiety and depression levels so that's kind of the you know the purpose driven prosperity project is is kind of what that formula is all about all right so you structure your time so you can get your work done you're just not all over the place eating and watching television but uh the prosperity how did you write your book i mean what was the tell me did you write it this year or how you know how were you able well, to do yeah do it in the context of everything that you just described that's happening well i started the book prior to last year a, a friend of mine um had written a book called we can um her name's robin toft and it's a fantastic book and she walks her dog on the same beach i walk my dog and she said you should write a book and this was in you know the, before the pandemic started just before i said that's a great idea so i started on it and then we got into i was just really getting rolling and then the pandemic came i had my knee surgery i had a full knee replacement february 18th last year and my daughter who is was 26 at the time had just started traveling the world she'd quit her job she had a bunch of savings she had put away and started traveling the world and then the pandemic hit so here i was with my knee in in you know a disarray and my daughter was in australia and she she called me and she said i think i'm going to come home and stay with you and i said that'd be great and um and then it just kind of took form as i went through the year with her spending time with you know my millennial daughter and me being 56 and we were going back and forth with a lot of things i was recovering from the surgery and it was just a tremendous exercise in in following what i had already been doing but getting it down on paper and all the reflections that went into the process and then trying to make it not about me but hopefully to bring it to people to where they could get something 
beneficial from what my observations were was really what the goal of it was. Yeah, and, and you know, it's really, you were actually living it. I mean, having your daughter, because that's something that I'm assuming that would never have happened. She would have been traveling the world. You would have been recuperating from your knee. And now you're together in a situation that if it hadn't been for the pandemic and all the stuff that I'm sure went on between the two of you and getting to know each other would never have happened. Um, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Good it was a really interesting time, um, and I remember so vividly um, this this last year because of the project of the book, because of the knee surgery, and the you know the marks on the calendar. It really is vivid how that year unfolded, and I got so much out of the time with my daughter. I'm so grateful. I I, I heard your prior guest, I believe, talking about intergenerational yes. communications, and I couldn't agree more that there is so much to be gained from us baby boomers and millennials working together, whatever we call each other. <laughs> it's like <laughs> I learned so much from my daughter and from this year, um, and how deep the that generation thinks and how much purpose they really have and all of the things that opened my eyes tremendously to be with her for that period of time. It was a tremendous blessing. Yeah. And I think the millennials do get a bad rap. I mean, there's sort of from the baby boomers, let's say, I mean, I'm a baby for, boomer. It's, you know, the, yes. that they're, yeah, that they're irresponsible. They, they don't, you know, oh, they don't stay with the job. They only stay there two years and on and on and on. And they're just, <laughs> Consumed with the internet. <laughs> I mean, some there's yeah. There's a lot of judgment. Um, yeah, and it, it, and you know it, that we if we learn anything from what we've just been through, it's that that's really not a good place to grow from. You know, it's not how we go forward. And it, when we do, when we actually listen to each other um, and don't have contempt without investigation on a conversation boy, we can really, really move mountains together. We can learn so much. And um, What do you, you I think, think she learned from you? Uh, you know, I mean, obviously, you know what you learned from her. What do you think she learned from you living with a you, daddy, baby boomer, over this past year that she didn't? <laughs> well, I know what she told me. She said, I, I, and I quote, she said, you know you're crazy, right? <laughs> so, that you probably knew before. I did know that before, but and she meant it in the best way possible. Uh, you, you know, we, we, I just I think she she pointed out so many wonderful things about my growth that I've had um, over over the last few years. You know, I went through quite a quite a transition in my life um, a few years ago. It, I guess they call it the midlife crisis in some cases. You know, I don't know. If that's I, common terminology, but it's all very personal to whoever's having it, you know. Um, and it, it, it's, it happens a lot. When the children go to college or graduate from school, you know, maybe there's a split and a divorce. And I went through all of that. And I had tremendous pain in my knee and my hip. Um, and I couldn't, I just couldn't, it was unbelievably bad. And I got in a really, really bad place. And I wasn't handling it the right way. And she was an observer of that at that time as well. And so, you know, there was so much pain. The divorce was going on. And uh, my my ex-wife is a wonderful person. And we still are tr- very, very close. Um, but it was painful. And I got to a really bottomed out place. My daughter was an observer of that. 
And she told me at that time, you need to make changes. You have to change or this is not going to go well for us together. It's not going to go well in the future for you. And I did. And that was part of my prosperity project, part of building my formula. And in this year with her with me, she said, I cannot believe how different and how much change you've made from the time you were going through your hell, your personal hell, to where you are now. And she just, she really, really built me up as to, like, your formula really works. It's really great. And it was just well, a wonderful a, observation. That's a great story. I mean, that I mean that is really a great story. You're just, you're living proof of, you're living proof of the Prosperity Project, right? I mean, <laughs> right. yeah, definitely, yeah. I mean, I we only have a couple minutes left. I, I could go on and on. It's uh, But I do want to make sure that everybody has a website and or websites they can go to because you're... Um, uh, to buy the book and also in terms of what you're doing. Um, so give Great. us some yeah, information. Yeah. Well, the book's available on Amazon, uh, The okay. Prosperity Project, John Lorenz. My, my author website is johnlorenz.com, and that's L-O-H as in happy, Lorenz, johnlorenz.com. <laughs> and my wealth management practice is jklwealth.com. So I'm wearing a few hats, and I'm open to you know conversations and answering questions. It's I just love to have the feedback and and have the conversations anytime. It's great, and um, you can sign up for my blog on my on my johnlorenz.com and see what I'm writing about and how the journey's you know moving forward. and And it's just great to have everybody's input. That's great. Thank you. Thanks so much for being on the show. We de- I definitely learned a lot. And it's all evolving. John Lorenz, The Prosperity Project. Um, thank you thank- very much. It was yeah. a pleasure to be here. Yeah, thanks. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 